0: hard to tell podcast episode 74 dexter henry brian fonseca here and we are back and we are back with a guest uh-huh good friend of mine uh good mentor to me uh from espn nfl reporter Cena anderson on the line Cena, what's up
1: hi how are you guys thank you for having me great 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 how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I, I'm a little under the weather uh, this morning, but it's all good. Um, you know, so I'm just interested to see what y'all want to talk about. Today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we appreciate
2: that. Your could time. go one of many different ways. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: We appreciate yeah, your time, so especially, good. you know, being no under problem. the weather. Everybody knows getting sick uh, recently. Um, but first of all, we want to kick it off. Whenever we have other journalists on here, we like to ask them about, you know, their career, how they got to where they are, just to try to give people a little background of them. So I know your story because, you know, we've talked about that. But w- what is the Jocena Anderson story? How did you get to where you are with ESPN as an NFL reporter?
1: Uh, well, my story is not an overnight story for sure. I'm not mm. one of those people who um, things just fell in my lap, so to speak. Um, I would say it's a culmination of, um, you know, just a lot of self-belief and grit over a lot of um, – you know, just a disappointment and struggle. Um, You know, I went to North Carolina, and um, I was not a journalism major, um, but I did a lot of internships. And the reason why I wasn't a journalism major is because uh, Tony Kornheiser, who at the time was a radio personality, and I was an intern for one of his shows, Uh, basically told me that it didn't need to major in journalism in order to do journalism. Um, And just he kind of encouraged me to major in something else other than that. So I would have that as a fallback. And so I took that advice. So um, by the time I was in school, kind of focusing on it more, my goal was really to have a job by the time I graduated that was like a I don't know, a fear of mine of not having um, a job in the field at the time that I left school. So, you know, I really worked hard on making sure I was developing a tape with a local affiliate in the area Um, and, you know, really starting prior to my senior year to get those tapes out. And um, I was very lucky to get a job think off like the second tape that I sent out. Oh wow. Which I really didn't know what I was doing um, <laughs> cuz it, it wasn't like uh you know um practicing sports casts or things like that so the people at the affiliate where I was at for my internship really helped me in terms of constructing it cuz they knew what it should look like and um I had a photographer whose name I don't remember but he was really key because he put my tape together for me, helped shoot my stand-ups for me. And at the time, I really didn't even know. So when I got my first job in Oregon, um, all the way across the country from Chapel Hill, you know, first of all, it took a lot of guts to just leave and go. But I mean, I literally once I graduated, I had to get up and leave, go all the way across the country. Um And, um and I really learned on the job. So that was a uh, you know, I mean, I'd been around things in terms of my internship, but it's not like, it's not like, uh, I, I think I would have been even more prepared probably if I was a major in the sense of I would have been practicing more things that I was asked to do off RIP. Hmm. And because I thought it was so, um, easy to get a job, I, I just thought I had the mentality that it, it would be hard to get out of there. But, um, and my goal was to stay there at least a year, but because, um, but because I kept sending tapes out when I was looking for my next opportunity, I kept coming second, I kept coming third, kept coming second, kept coming third. Mm. Um, it really showed me, I was like, damn, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's not as easy as I think to get a job in this field. And so I ended up, one day I woke up, I had an epiphany. And I'm like, man, I'm sending out all these tapes. I was sending out like 50 to 100 just calls and tapes, like, weekly, biweekly, like, just um, really focused on that and could not get a job. And so one day I woke up, and I just had an epiphany, and I said to myself that I'm sitting here waiting for somebody to give me a yes to be able to go where I want to go, and I just need to just go, (laughs) because I was going to be stuck in Oregon. And I was not happy out there. I was really far from my family. I wanted to come back home. So I ended up quitting my job, gave two weeks notice. And then I left after a year, a month and a day there to the T. And, um, I went to DC and, um, I started volunteering at a local cable station in that area, local county cable, not even Fox ABC county cable. Hmm. But the blessing of that opportunity was that they um, covered the major sports in D.C. So I went from doing like high school and, you know, high school and local sports in a remote town in Oregon to cover in the Wizards or Redskins. So that was the blessing of it, even though it wasn't, the re- and obviously I wasn't getting paid. So the degree that I had acquired that was not a journalism degree, I was using that to train people by day. And then I would report either at night for free or on the weekends. And I did that for four years.
3: Wow. Um, what
1: was yeah, what
0: was sometimes. that like? What was that like mentally having to do that, knowing that, you know, because I think sometimes people don't know this, like you're tough. not getting paid, you know, how how hard is that?
1: tough. I it was very tough, very 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 tough. I, um, because it's not what I it's not what I went to school to do. I didn't go to school to be a trainer, even though that was my you know degree was in exercise sports science. So there was a lot of a lot. I mean, I went through a lot. <laughs> uh, first of all, when I moved back home, I was sleeping on my mother's couch because my brothers had my one of my brothers had my old room. Mm. I didn't feel like it was right to ask him to leave, so. I slept on a couch for four years. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I was toiling. And there were a lot of times I kept sending out tapes over those. It wasn't like I intended it to be four years. I kept sending out tapes and things like that, was not getting a job. Um, I had created my own radio sports segment on uh, WKYS where I looked for a spot. They allowed me to uh, look for for my own sponsor. So I was able to get paid from a sponsor that way and did a segment on KYS called Scoop Center at the time. Um, I was doing multiple shows, round ball, uh, sideline report, all these different things where I wasn't getting paid, but I was training by day. And the blessing of it was that I was able to create my own schedule so I could train multiple people at once in like an hour, make a lot of money (laughs) a good amount of money. And then what I was doing was reinvesting that back in myself. So I would send myself to all-star, I would send myself to, you know, away games and things like that, using the credentialing of the people that I was working for. So I I was always astute to be able to use uh, that opportunity to garner more contact. So long story short, uh, the fourth year that I was in Oregon or excuse me, the fourth year that I was in DC, um, you know how we always go to some of us, not all of us, on New Year's, we go to some of us go to church <laughs> and <laughs> you operating your tithing, And you know how the preachers always like, This year is your year <laughs>
0: But he says that every year.
1: And every year and I was faithful going to Bible study, I was faithful, you know, doing you know, going to uh, church for New Year's and I just remember saying to myself, I was like, you know, if it doesn't happen this year, I'm going to leave the business. Mm. Like I, I remember thinking that, and I started to look for um, uh, courses, and I think I thought I wanted to become a sports psychologist, and I thought I was going to go to West Virginia at the time.
3: I'm glad you didn't. Do and that. I started
1: getting re- I started getting ready for that, but one day I went to church. True story, although most people, you know, probably think it's not, but it's a true story. I went to church. I remember leaving church and I was walking on the sidewalk, leaving church, and I was just crying, crying, crying because I I was just, like, I felt so lost, like, what am I doing? It was like five years out of school, not getting paid in this, and it was very, very difficult and a woman drove up beside me where I was walking. And I, I just remember she was in an Oldsmobile and she came out the car. She stopped. She pulled up beside me on the sidewalk. I didn't know who she was. And, um, and she came out the car and she was just like, God told me to tell you your job is coming. <laughs> and um, so she got back in the car and, and that was it. And, six months later, I was in a, a gym training somebody. I remember stretching the hamstring. I remember just like it was yesterday. I'm stretching the hamstring, a call rang in my office in this gym. And it was the Fox affiliate in Denver calling me telling me that they were offering me a job that I didn't have to audition for because I, um, I had auditioned for this job two years ago, didn't get it. And that person was who did get the job was moving up to sports director. So they had an opening and they called me and they said, the job is yours if you want it. So I ended up uh, taking that job (laughs) there for six years, went to ESPN after Mm -hmm. that. I mean, I could go on and on about, you know, all of the adversity and trials, but um, yeah. So the bottom line of it is, is that, um, (laughs) When I say it was an overnight story, it was not an overnight
0: story. Yeah, literally it was an overnight story. I remember you telling me that story about the woman um, coming up to you, which is just amazing in that happening and how it manifested, even though it was months later, how it happened. I think that's amazing for people to hear that, you know, you got to stick with it sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm.
3: Absolutely.
1: And Absolutely. And
2: also the part about what you said, you were working essentially for free for four years, that was?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, because a lot of people now because I'm going through some of the same thing now, uh, because I'm in the first few years of doing this, if that makes sense. And, you know, a lot of my peers think that, oh, I want to become a sports writer, because when I graduate, you know, I'm going to get a job right away. And I'm like, especially now, like, that's really not how it happens. And I don't think enough people understand. Uh, What I wanted to know was like, what were some of the things that you were thinking about during that time in terms of like, what kept you going ultimately? Uh, to keep pursuing this even though at some point you looked uh maybe hopeless.
1: Really um and it sounds corny but it really is just belief in myself, you know, because I knew that um I knew that I had it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh some people, you know, just because you choose to do a certain field doesn't mean that you're right for that field, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think the word or the key word there is discernment, right? You have to really have discernment about yourself to know like, you you know, to know like you know, like you know. And I, and I, and I knew it. I knew I had it. That's how I got the job. I'm not really having experience before just even being in the field. Yeah. Because I knew I had the personality for it. I knew I had the stick-to-itiveness for it. I knew I had the drive. I knew it was naturally investigative. I knew just whatever. Like I just I possessed those things. Um, but you know, at the, but at the same time, you know, life is hard <laughs> and life has real circumstances right. and you know, you're not, and I wasn't making any money, you know what I mean? Like, so uh, it was, uh, I can't even like, I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. Like I, I kind of think back to that time. It seems so long ago. You know, but at the but at the same time, it was it was a lot of prayer, a lot of days where you thought it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, um, and just continuing to you know, I guess fight through it.
0: Well, you well, hey, you fought you fought through it, and now you're ESPN, you're a national NFL reporter, uh, doing mm-hmm. your thing. What what's that like? Because I know from you, I talk we we talk often, and I know you know the travel, especially during the season. I know how busy it is and how hard you work. What is what is that like how how much of you love doing what you do?
1: Well, I didn't set out trying to be an insider. You know, when I got in this business, it wasn't like, you know, even when I started working for Fox in Denver, um, you know, I didn't start off that way, but um remember when I told you I had that radio internship at uh WKYS and I had that show called Scoop Center when I was covering the Wizards back then, I kind of I had a knack for making contacts and a knack for people trusting me and a knack for um, getting information, you know, and I learned that uh, by watching Michael Wilbon and Steve Weiss and John Mitchells and those people um, get information that wasn't necessarily the same everybody else had. And, and what do I mean by that? So like what I noticed early on in my career and I'm kind of going back to go forward.
3: Mm. But
1: what I noticed early in my career is that um, a lot of people would stay in a locker room and everyone would, you know, kind of get the same sound in a group. And that would be the same thing written in, in the in the uh, newspaper or you, you saw the same sound bite on local television. But what I noticed about these people in D.C. is they really taught me um, by observing them how to get different content by uh, cultivating your own relationships, staying back after everyone else le- left the locker room and then mm. trying to get something different. So I took that mentality to Denver. And when I went to Denver, I noticed that everyone was doing the same thing. Like everyone would stand around a locker room and uh, stand around an athlete at a locker and all get the same sound and everything would be the same watching TV. And that really stood out to me. And I really had this mentality that I'd gotten from D.C. um to get your own thing. And if you think about it, when I went to Denver, um, I was the third person in the sports department. I wasn't the sports director. I wasn't the Monday through Friday person. Um, I was the sports producer reporter. So I'm the third person. But out of out of rip, um, sorry, okay, I had a text message coming in. Sorry. No problem. Out of rip, <laughs> um, you know, I, would, I broke, I remember I broke a Maurice Claret story, like, as soon as I got to Denver, mm. and, um, and then I broke something with Jerry Rice. And then, um, you know, something else was given to me in regards to Ricky uh, Williams missing the entire year because of a drug infraction. And that's the one that really, really set it off because, uh, someone just gave that to me that I didn't, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand the magnitude of it. Anyways, that story went, uh, national. It was a big deal and people started to wonder who this was. And what the reason why I'm telling you this is because I'm trying to make you understand that back then, and this was a long time ago, kind of telling my age on myself here. But (laughs) back then, like nobody, nobody was like to be African-American female and even just in the the number three position, breaking national news and then kind of developing that um, that reputation in, in Denver. Like nobody was doing that back then. And and so I kind of started to see that. And so what it did is I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of a thing. And I developed my own sports blog called the Denver Sports Insider Blog. And I, I concentrated my information that I was getting there. People started reading it nationally. And then I remember, like, I, I believe Peter King and Jason Whitlock noticed it and started writing about it, like, who is this girl? Not even the number one, number two is breaking this news nationally. And then it started not to just be about Denver. It started to be about – um you know, other teams, I was breaking news about the Redskins, the, you know, the Dolphins or what have you. And people like, well, how did you do that? Because what I realized is that, you know, uh, and I, I don't know, I just have this sense that, um, you know, when, when visiting teams would come into town, you know, don't just pay attention to the home team. Like the way that you're going to expand your contacts is by, um, is by focusing on the people who also come in town. And then also when your contacts go to other places, you see what I'm saying? Then mm-hmm. it, it expands your repertoire. And the next thing you know, you have this, you know, you have this big, you know, repertoire of contacts. So then now to answer the question, to bring it full circle with what you asked me, um, you know, I I do enjoy it because... <laughs> you know, I, I, I realize one of the fruits of the labor of it, like, I never really understood why I was in Denver that long, right? But then now when I see all these contacts that I acquired by this way that I was doing it, it fully served its purpose in terms of creating a niche for me at ESPN and then something that's somewhat, you know, unique to me as a, as a, as a female, African American female doing this. And um and then and then I enjoy it because I thoroughly love the NFL. It's something that I would watch even though even when I'm not working. So it makes it easier to get better at it because you, you have a genuine passion for it.
0: Yeah, no, beautiful and you do do a great job. Now last year, uh this last season which was rather interesting, one of the big things um that you had was it sit down and interview with Odell Beckham that Got some, you know, interesting reactions, as you and I have talked about um, from it. How what was your reaction to how other people reacted to that in terms of Odell and some of the things that he said? Like, how did you feel about that in, in, in general, the, the public's reaction to it?
1: Um, Well, I mean, there was a a lot of different reactions to it. Um, There were reactions to it in terms of people appreciating the interview, people appreciating the depth of the interview, people appreciating getting those two people to sit down. Um, Wayne, who was also in the interview, I
0: didn't mention. Little Wayne was also in the interview for the listeners who do not know. Yeah, sorry, Joe, go ahead.
1: Yes, yes. Um, And so I'm thoroughly appreciative to them for doing that together the trust that they instilled in me, the reflection of our rapport to even get that done. And honestly, I feel like that was the majority of the reaction. I think that uh, the reaction that came from some in the media, Mm -hmm. not necessarily the viewers, but from the media, so to speak, to me was a reflection of... uh, you know, I think people, some people wanting to gaslight it for their own purposes. <laughs> um, I think that's a good word to use. Yep. Um, and also to, um, you know, sometimes there is uh, envy that, you know, is reflected in the way people speak about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and to me, I just think that it is, it was... Uh, comical. At the same time, it was, you know, unfortunate. Um But, <laughs> you, you know, I, I think that the fact that you're able to get something like that done, the fact that people were talking about it for uh, mon- a month after, they're still talking about it, just kind of lets you know the mark that it's set. And honestly, it, it, it speaks for itself. Um I think the one thing that I'm very proud of with it is that And I I try to make this a hallmark of all of my interviews, not just that one, um, is, you know, the point of it is to really trying to show, try to show or get those people to show rather um, different, you know, sides of themselves. And to do that in a way uh, where they're reflecting their honesty, they're reflecting their inner truth, they're reflecting the comfort that they have with you, but also at the same time, respect you know to answer the question to be engaged during the interview um to be able to ask them things critically um but also at the same time you know have a natural conversation mm-hmm. and i think that that requires um you know a a skill and 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 certain traits to be able to pull that off and that's always my goal to try to achieve
3: that now
0: joe i thought you did but one of the things i found interesting is around sports journalism and all of us here who do this is we always say that we want athletes to be more honest right and in this you got some honest responses from uh odell and he's you mm-hmm. know spoke spoke about you know eli's play and the way the giants were at the time i believe they were on four or on five i can't remember um at the time of that recorded interview Odell was honest, but he got a lot of criticism for this, um, for his honesty there. Um, what do you make of that in the media? Maybe the sort of, I don't know if I want to call it a double standard, but the way we say we want athletes to be honest, but when they are honest, they get ripped for it. Like, what's, what is up with that? And is that is that okay, or do we need to do better in the media with that?
1: Well, honestly, I felt like Odell was very, very careful, hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. with his thoughts a couple things one odell is very very a very very thoughtful person he Mm -hmm. thinks a lot and i respect that about him and i do think that he is misunderstood by people who don't know him Mm
3: -hmm. which
1: is most like anybody right so number one he's very thoughtful and number two um i knew how he felt about a lot of the things that he answered already in the sense of um in the sense of, um, you know, just the previous conversations that, you know, uh, he and I had had, um, and listening to his answers, I, 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 I knew how he was being mindful of what he was saying. So like when I ask him a question about Eli and he says, I think so, or I don't know, or, you know, or what have you, um, You know, I think he was being very mindful in his answers, but because he is Odell, just even using the word, I think, and because he's speaking of Eli is just enough to Mm -hmm. set it off. And the difference with Odell is that people in the media, and I'm talking about, you know, people in the industry, everyone knows how much of a clickbait that he is in terms of being able to generate you know, uh, attention to whatever, you know, people, uh, uh, excuse me, articles that people were writing about it or whatever. So to have like a a big take about it or to have an article or opinion about it was going to drive this and drive that. Mm -hmm. And so my answer to you is that you really in assessing that and seeing that, and you really have to just see it for what it is. You see what I'm saying? That's what it was. And if you think about that like right after that um the uh jimmy butler had done an interview with rachel nichols
3: yes mm. and
1: yeah. after that you know there was some comments that uh jalen ramsey had made about things in jacksonville and and after that dj swearinger made some comments about things in washington dc in terms of the redskins and after that alan hearns uh, or maybe I think it was before that Alan Hearns made some comments to me about, you know, things with the Dallas Cowboys. And what what I really feel like is the interview um, was an opening, I feel like, even for other athletes to start talking up even more about their situations this particular year, last season, more so than any season. Hmm. But the difference is is that I feel like people reacted way more to Odell, who by comparison to some of those comments and some of those athletes that I mentioned actually said things that were even more damning, um, or not even more damning, because I don't really think he said anything damning. Um, Agreed. But I think comments came from different athletes around uh, the country in the same sport who said things that were far more damning but received way less attention because it wasn't Odell. So when you know that as an interviewer or just as a person in this business and you know that as even being Odell or, you know, being Wayne, then, you you know, it is what it is. And it really just depends on how you're able to handle it and take it. Now, if you use Antonio Brown as a, another counterexample of someone who, uh, you know, whose interview was, you know, somewhat closer to that um, you know, oh, uh excuse me, Antonio was very confident in what he was doing and also um in just letting it be what it was gonna be and not really giving you know to what. <laughs>
3: right. <laughs> um, is know, it, it
1: just it just was it just was gonna be what it's gonna be. And I think you're just gonna see more of that uh moving forward. So.
2: Is is it disappointing at all? Uh not not just the reaction but in terms of like, you know, you obviously it took a while to put that together, maybe, and then you have the full sit down. But then people just want to focus on not even the six minute version that went up first, but just, you know, the parts where Odell might have sounded like he was saying certain things that people were trying to exaggerate that he wasn't actually saying. You know, is that disappointing or discouraging at all? Because you obviously no, had why would f- I be
1: disappointed. I just did a sit down with Odell and Lil Wayne. There's nothing that anybody could say or react to anything that's going to make me disappointed. Like you know, I, there, there's no, there's no, there's no part of me that there's no part of me where, uh, my mindset would be like that. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like when you know, you've done something and you've accomplished something, nobody's reaction to that. The fact that they're reacting, I think is actually, uh, is actually indicative of the get,
3: mm.
1: <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, or no. jealousy so like, or well,
2: jealousy, I, as you alluded right. to earlier.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like I I, I, I knew what, what was happening. You see what I'm saying? In terms of yeah. in terms of uh the the, the get and the, the blessing of it and how thankful I was for it and, and what they were and what they shared and nobody's reaction is gonna take a, take away from that, whether it's because they didn't do it themselves or they can't understand it or they're mad that Odell doesn't talk to them or like <laughs> I, I No. I just I don't think that way.
3: I just <laughs>
2: I also just hate that we're in that sort of, you know, we're in that clickbait climate, for lack of a better way of saying it. And Dexter and I talk about this all the time on the podcast where, um, you know, people are just reaching sort of like you alluded to, just trying to aggregate and things like that, which kind of like, I don't know, uh, messes up some of the reporting, for example, because people don't care about certain things.
1: Well, that's why it's important to have a voice and have a counter narrative. So when people say things and put things in the atmosphere... To, uh, try to create a narrative, that's why you have to speak up and counter it. So part of, part of doing that is releasing the full raw version. Part of doing that is speaking out myself about it. Part of doing that is, um, you know, when I'm on a national platform or TV and I'm asked about it or whatever, speaking on it or continuing to speak about what I think about, you know, his circumstance with the Giants or what have you, or just in general. And I haven't been shy about that on TV in terms of, you know, speaking about how I feel, because at the end of the day, you know, um, when people talk about the interview and did it have an impact on this and have an impact on that, like the giants are eight and 24 in two years. There's nothing about an interview that created them being eight, 24 in two years. And there's nothing that, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I did in terms of that, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, You know they are what they are, and you know we hope that they are able to achieve what they are able to achieve, just like any other team. But uh, at the same token, you know one particular uh, athlete shouldn't take undue uh, burden. um, You know for something that um, has has a lot to do with a lot of people.
0: Now, Joe, he has taken. We're speaking about OBJ. He has taken a lot of burden. Obviously, he was uh, recently traded. Uh, from the Giants to uh, the Cleveland Browns, how shocked? Were, how shocked were you by that? I was a little shocked by the trade. Maybe I shouldn't have been. Um, was it shocking to you? And how do you think he fares in in Cleveland now?
1: I wasn't shocked that he was traded because um, I knew that they were attempting or that they were very very open to it, um, counter to what the general manager had been saying. Because I had gotten that intel since the, before the season ended and had continued to follow up on it since, uh, midway to late through last season, uh, through the combine and after, um, you know, I had talked to him many times about it. I've been keeping tabs on it. So by the time I was on TV during free agency, talking about the fact that, you know, teams were still talking about it. It was shocking everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, some of my colleagues didn't believe it, which was evident, Um, but I kept saying Mm -hmm. that. And one thing I don't do is I've broken a lot of stories, not just tens, not just the hundreds, probably in the thousands, you know what I'm saying? I've broken a lot of stories over my career. There's nothing that I need to say just to gain attention. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. I've been doing this a long time. I just, I don't, I don't, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to play that game. If I'm saying it, yep. If I'm saying it, if I'm reporting it it is, is because I heard from somebody that matters. You know, there's just too much out here to risk putting things out there. At least for me, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those people fortunate to just you know fall forward in life mm. <laughs> by you know by accident. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we so can't do I have that. to watch. Mm-hmm. I I I don't have that type of you know benefit. So I, I don't just you know be out here just recklessly saying something. So when I was on TV the day before he got traded, saying that, there were teams that were still talking about him. And you know, and uh, or, or that teams that were interested in trading for him, and then that and that was known, is because I had you know information, you know that was direct enough to say that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, they got to put some respect on your name
0: for your information and what you've done, Joe. They got to put some respect on your name. We need we need that. None of this doubting. What's I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> what's up with that? Oh, come on.
1: Well, it's it, well, it's not. It's not even. I mean, I've been doing this like I said. Many, many, many years, and it's not even—it's not even that people doubt. I don't think it's really doubt, actually. Honestly, sometimes it's not—it's not—it's not doubt. Let me tell you what it is. It's deeper than that. Mm. It's shock that they didn't know,
3: mm.
1: or how how come they didn't know? You see what mm. I'm saying? So it's really not doubt. It's shock. well how could she know that? You see what I'm saying? Because she's dope. So that's what. <laughs> That's that sometimes that's what it is, especially if it if it's some a certain type of story or if it revolves around something or whatever. But now, you know, we get mm-hmm. too deep with that. So the point is <laughs> is that is that I heard it, you know, the day before so I knew it was coming and then the day of the trade, you know, I had gotten a text from a source that told me the Browns were talking about him. And I like I said, I told Odell right away. I texted him and told him about it. Um and we had been in contact about it throughout the day, and then I on. I, but what I didn't know is that I didn't know it was going to happen that day, and I didn't know that it had, um, you know, it had you know uh, progressed that quickly. And honestly, that's my fault. I should have. I think what what it was is that when I got the text, I, I the reason why I wasn't even more definitive about it, and I said it was the AFC North team that was pursuing him, and I and I didn't say the Browns is because um, you know, I wasn't able to get my source back on the phone and
3: right. then
1: I had to go on TV for like three or four hours right after that. And I got distracted. You see what I'm saying? Right. Mm. And then literally an hour after I got off TV is when it happened, you know? So, and then I think I was texting at that time, even with Odell at the time that it, at the news came down. So anyways, that's, uh, that's, that's how, that's how it happened. That's and crazy I, but I think Cleveland is a blessing for him.
0: Yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's crazy now. With Jarvis Landry yeah. and everything. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's a good situation. Absolutely. What, what do you think was the maybe, I don't know if this was the one, maybe you'll say this, but this uh, free agency offseason, what do you think has been the biggest move that we've seen in the NFL uh, this offseason so far? Um,
1: I think the biggest move is I think Odell getting traded to the Browns. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> and, I thought that
0: might be it.
3: Yeah, yeah Not.
1: and A.B. going to Oakland. But I think we're all more interested to see the Browns just because of the mix of talent, you know, with Baker and Jarvis and that defense. And so, you know, I think that there's a high probability and a high likelihood that it's going to go um, – you know that they have put it this way, that they have a high opportunity for success. Um, Browns fans haven't you know, heard in that football, in a long time. Every game is, huh? The
0: Browns fans have not heard that in a long time, Joe. High opportunity for success.
1: Well, little... I mean they had more so of it last year than any other year. That's so they're really kinda of there, right? That's but true. but the but the but the issue is two things. One, you know, a football game you can win by a, well maybe three things. You can win by um Obviously, you know can win by a point could lose by a point, and the other team is trying just as hard too, so you know just because you have all that accumulation of talent, you still gotta win the game, and you know you could you know you i think that they really need to start off quickly, right yeah. um and have good success off jump and I think that Baker Mayfield needs to stay healthy, you know, so all of those things need to happen kind of you know for it to kind of continue down that path of. You know, all those things working together with the culmination of talent that they have.
2: I'm kind of fascinated by this whole Kyler Murray situation and whether or not he's going to wind up in Arizona. Uh, what's sort of going on there at this time now that we're getting closer and closer to the draft?
1: Um. Well two things one when he announced and he signed uh eric burkhart his agent who represents uh the head coach of the arizona cardinals cliff kingsbury mm-hmm. um my immediate reaction and i tweeted this was you know okay well who's going to be the number two pick <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, i mean sometimes because sometimes when things are too strong of a coincidence you know then it, it just is what it is right in front of you right you don't have to think deeper than it you know it's just like okay you know but then at the same time, you also know that, you know, where his family is based, that agent is based there already. So, you know, part of picking that agent too could have to do with the fact that they're geographically close. Um, and his parents have an opportunity to be in the same area where Kyler Murray is. So that plays into it. Um, and then the fact that he is Cliff Kingsbury's agent too. Um, you have natural insight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, prior to that, um, you have to remember that he was making a choice between baseball and football. So to kind of do that, you would think, you know, hmm, he, did he really have good insight into what may, you know, what his future may be in order to make that decision, whether he got that from whoever, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you kind of factor that into it. But even up to something that I heard last night, you know, I still, I, you know, I still feel like, uh, how do I say this? Um uh, I think I I think that there is leaning still towards that, you know. And um, I know Chris Mortensen's already been on TV saying that it's you know it's going to happen. Yep. So you know we'll see. Me personally, my style when I'm reporting to the draft is to get to the week of or like the weekend before before I really start digging in because you always want. It's just like when Owen Owen and I were talking about um, you know whether who's going to get traded or not. I always said. You know, let, let let me get more updated information. Let me get more updated information because something I might have heard in December might not be what I'm hearing in February. And it's the same approach with the draft. Like I like to try to get a little closer to it to make sure nothing has changed. There's still college prospects out there who are still taking their 30,
3: mm-hmm. 30
1: visits, and what that means to your viewers is each team gets um, 30 visits with 30 prospects. Um, so there, those the teams are still wrapping that up, and then most of these teams will circle back again and meet again to you know, review their notes and, you know, you know, reassess things or whatever. So you kind of want to let that process settle down. So whatever uh, team or whoever's telling you information, you know, that it's the most up to date.
0: What What do you think of two things? What do you think of Kyler Murray as a prospect? And what does that then mean for Josh Rosen? Because he's been linked a lot, possibly being traded to the Giants. Uh, what do you think about both of those things? Kyler Murray, can he play in the NFL, a quarterback with his size and, uh, Josh Rosen what's his future if there is any with the Cardinals
1: well one of the things I like about any journalist or any insider or any just journalist period period is someone who speaks on what they know but they always talk but they're always honest about what they don't know right mm-hmm. so let me be honest about what I don't know what I don't know is I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of college football um and so I don't watch a lot of college football um I like the NFL. Consider myself obviously uh, someone good to talk about it. Cause <laughs> hopefully, that's my job. Right? Yep, that's why we have it. <laughs> uh, I don't, but I, <laughs> I don't watch a lot of college football. I will right. watch the playoffs, and then I always joke with them when they come to the combine that I get to know you once you come to the combine, and then I really get to know you when you actually make the you know ninety man roster. And then from there, I, I, I you know I'm going to really really get to know you when you make a fifty. It's just too many college teams to many college games to stories it's too much um and so what do i mean by that so the whole purpose of me saying that is to say that what i know of him is the hype that he has around him what i've seen of him on tape just by going back and looking back um and i feel like from a business standpoint he has the ability to add a lot of cachet to the Arizona Cardinals, um, mm. that the the way that he plays fits with the coaching style of Cliff Kingsbury, um, and that it seems like a natural fit. Um, so all of those things I do know. Um, what I don't know is, um, you know, as a young man, how, um, you know, he will react in a situation around, you know, men who are a lot older than him who've got families mortgages and all that other stuff and you know it's just a different transition from the college game to the nfl that i cover and you know how he will react if there is a lot more adversity in terms of the results of the games and what he's experienced in college all of those things are things that are to be determined you know what i mean
2: right yeah
0: Yeah.
1: we don't know about
0: that
2: where are we right now in terms of colin kaepernick Uh, the settlement, that entire situation, and what's going on there?
1: I mean, well, he had the settlement with the NFL. The terms of that is um, confidential. So I think, you know, on one hand, he was able to get some sort of, you know, monetary judgment. Um, But on the other hand, we don't know the information that was gathered during all of those depositions. As far as the claims that he was originally bringing, which was that the NFL was, you know, colluding to keep him and Eric Reed out of a a job in the NFL. Um, and I think, you know, for people who are following that story from Jump, that part of it is disappointing because you want the transparency Mm, probably more than anything. So you just really don't know about the decision as to why they decided to settle at that point. There are some reports that came out initially when the news broke that um it was you know 60 to 80 million dollar judgment then another report came out within the last month and a half or so that uh or whenever it was that it was only 10 million Man, I saw that. And
3: yeah mm. it's
1: like well okay you know most quarterbacks are averaging in the t- you know low 20s right now so and he for the time that he missed and you multiply that by the average of what a quarterback salary is why was it under that amount is that report true I don't know, but you know, for those who maybe this is what is your next question? If he's ever going to make you know be in the NFL again, yeah. Um, my answer to that is that one most likely it would have to be this year, and two, if it did happen, probably the only team that I see doing that, Carolina. Would, uh, would be Carolina, mm-hmm. um, just because of the owner. Um, he, obviously they have Eric Reed on that team already. Right. Um, you know, the head coach is a coach who, um, you know, is a, is a minority. It's mm-hmm. real talk.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, one of the coaches that is, you know, head coach of the team by the Rooney rule. Um, also the owner is a new owner and David Tepper. is not part of the original, Ownership you know group of uh excuse me the original kind of group of owners that kind of have this you know whatever I guess what I'm trying to say Old is that mentality. all the other owners have been there for a while david <laughs> right. pepper right. David Tepper is new and um and kind of has his own way of thinking, which is evident by the fact that Eric Reed is even on that team I think that's self evident that's not something that I have to illuminate it's self evident by the fact that Eric Reed is on that team. the only other team that I would potentially maybe think that there could be a chance to maybe the chargers. Mm.
3: Um,
1: when I think about the head coach and, you know, and just the circumstance there, you know, so, um, maybe you'd have to be a scenario like what the Redskins experienced last year after Alex Smith got hurt, Colt McCoy got hurt, Josh Johnson, where you had, a, you know, multiple injuries that would really necessitate. Okay. We really had to do this and provide some cover for the team. Um, but let me be clear i think he should be in the nfl i think he should be playing obviously I think he was talented enough but as the time goes by more and more time goes by you know i don't know what his um level of training still is right. and i know that teams have expressed and i don't know people could out there can determine for themselves if they think it's an excuse but i know teams have told me that they've wanted to hear from him more Um, direct on his passion for wanting to come back Hmm. and i know his response from people who represent him say that these teams already know this and he shouldn't have to say that it's already known
0: so interesting one one last thing real quick joe before i let you go Mm -hmm. um on Mm -hmm. that uh, considering the money and the settlement the whole debate about whether he got 60 to 80 million or 10 million whatever it is did you look at the settlement as a win for Kaepernick? Because there's some people that say, hey, no, this is a loss for him. Um, I think it's a win no matter what he settled for there. What what say you to that?
1: Um, I'm probably in the minority on that. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for um, his social activism. Um, I have a lot of and and obviously i was I was one of the most vocal people about it on ESPN, so that yes. goes without saying in terms of continuing to uh, make sure that that was a topic of discussion and also continuing to shine a light on the inequity I saw in the situation and the injustice I saw in the situation. I think that's very important. I think that's part of the reason why you have diverse voices on television. Mm-hmm. um so I think that that goes without saying. um however, Um, I think that the things that he was fighting to illuminate with respect to this particular case, um, it was worth making it transparent. That is the first to me, in in my judgment, of course, it's not my life, it's not my money, it's not my situation, and I respect him as a man to be able to make that decision for his own. He don't need that blessing from me, so none of that, that's not why I'm saying that. I'm just saying with respect to respecting your question and just answering your question, Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I personally would have liked to have seen transparency on all the things that were underneath or the underlying concerns, because I think that that is important, not just for what he was trying to, um, um, you know, I guess, uh, uh, fight against, but also for anybody else that may come after them.
0: Hmm no no i i I hear you on that and good points and totally understand that uh we know you gave us a a bunch of time i know you're not feeling the greatest um but you know you're the best at what you do nfl insider for espn joe thank you so much for the time also want to let people know you can catch joe on nfl live she's on there constantly uh doing a great job talking about all the stuff she breaks and everything she does um thank you again for the time we appreciate it next time uh you're back in the area, you got to come up and kick it with us but uh We appreciate the time, Joe. Thank you. Yes, absolutely.
1: All right, you guys. Thank you. And and congrats on your show. Keep doing a a kick-ass job. And um, have a good show the rest of the way.
0: Appreciate it, sister. Take care, okay?
1: All right, bye. All right, bye-bye.
0: What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. I right, we just heard from Josina Anderson, great NFL insider for ESPN. We appreciate her time as we said once before. Really good to hear from her, a lot of top there's so much Absolutely. we could have talked about in the NFL but
2: definitely when we get in studio, I wanna get into more about uh, sort of the trials and tribulations of you know, coming up in this career and things like that, because I was fascinated by a lot of the stuff that she said. Yeah. Just in terms of getting getting to Denver, not even getting to ESPN, but just getting to Denver.
0: Yeah, it's funny because for me, um, you know, off off doing this, we're, we're good friends, and yeah. I had I had known that story about her getting to at Denver. I only learned that maybe a couple months ago, mm. um, because you know she was giving me some advice with some stuff, and I I'd heard that story about that and knew the the four years and on the couch and. We both have a very similar thing because when I was in between stuff doing journalism, I was also personal training. So we both have that similar background with that. Yeah. But I think one of the things I took away from it and goes to show people, and I hope people who listen to this can take away from it, is – You know, one thing that she said, which I always preach is you have to believe in yourself no matter what. That is a lot easier said than done, though. It doesn't mean you're not going to have up days and down days or doubt yourself. But at the end of the day, if you believe in your craft and what you're doing and the goals you are trying to reach, it's all going to work out. The other thing, too, is That I think she took is that you have to put yourself out there. I always tell you, we've been able to do that through our own platforms. You have to put your own stuff out there. You can't be afraid, bro. Have Um, you have you seen WrestleMania?
2: Yeah. Have you seen the WrestleMania coverage?
0: (laughs) yeah let's, let's shout out to brian. brian went and did some wrestlemania coverage. you guys should check that out um legitimately
2: live the dream yeah you know what i mean and shout out to ashley Alonzo, videographer who came who with me that, on the who trip does
0: does some of our video work yeah and she does some this. video
2: stuff for the podcast and pictures for the podcast i yeah, uh, was able to bring her along uh but yeah just sort of independently was able to interview you know seth rollins was fighting brock lesnar in the main event at wrestlemania we're recording this on a sunday um you know charlotte flair Ric flair's daughter eight-time women's champion who's already Woo! one of the best ever yeah exactly <laughs> stephanie mcmahon needs no introduction, introduction right you know what i mean mark henry
0: <laughs> right but you went and put yourself out there and it's independence on your own time and, and people should know those things too because you know there's a lot of people on the independent grind and doing the stuff and Own time and money. money i bought a lot of that right.
2: equipment that we use yep. a lot of it was Astros, and a lot of it was mine also And a lot of that i just used i mean i just bought wednesday
0: yeah and i was proud because <laughs> I, I i actually came to see brian briefly the day before he did this to make sure all his stuff was right right and we we
2: and, thought we were we thought we were screwed nah, but you are, it
0: really all worked out but like just see just seeing that and and the 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 putting into yourself was something Joe was talking about putting yeah. that energy and investing into yourself talked exactly that, that she, matters
2: she's talked about that and you've talked, out, talked about that a lot too It's just investing in yourself nothing better you could know, do than that getting nothing. the equipment putting stuff out independently whether it's on YouTube or Vimeo or Twitter or Instagram whatever, you do, you can whatever, get it whatever out the app there. is yeah that's, especially that's, now you can get right. it out there
0: and that's why even people like uh, Josine and I in our kind of age range who was a little bit older maybe some of our listeners that might be listening to this is that you know there was a time where you couldn't do that but we kind of came into the time where you could start to be able to do that back
2: then there was more so blogs right
0: yeah and so you could but that was a way of starting to be able to exactly do it. And yeah once i think people of our age figured out like how we could start doing it in that space and now this is why, why i tell younger people is like yo you have all the opportunities to do it and put your stuff out there the only thing stopping you is you mm-hmm. stop waiting for somebody to hand you something stop waiting for somebody to say come yeah. and do a podcast go do your own podcast.
2: especially now i'm like do you really want to work for people you know what i mean like you, do, like four people you, like do you really want to wait around and get like get a work. job sure but it's like i wouldn't want to wait around so then somebody could because that's not gonna happen especially especially if you're a minority yeah you don't, right and I as we know, you know by no, experience
0: you don't have to wait for that you can create your own opportunities as brian did i want to go do something with wrestling i want to do it you wanted we, we wanted to do this podcast we did it i wanted to create a show called uh the sports walk season three is coming really soon oh yeah uh, we, we Warm weathered baby. Warm weather. That, Warm means, weather. Season, that means season su- three's spring, coming. Spring summer. <laughs> season three of the sports ball, Coming soon. Um so yeah, yeah. We you know, this these are the things that are good. And whenever we get a chance to talk with people like Joseena or other journalists, it's why it's always important. We always say we like to, to let people tell their story because everybody's story is so different and it's so diverse. And people have different ways of how they got to work. But hopefully it inspires other people. Right.
2: Know? And I love when we bring on guests like that. Because as you notice, like the Marley episode or probably this episode were two of the episodes where I was the quietest. <laughs> because I was just listening. I was listening for the most Yeah, quiet. we learned. Because we learned, I've been yeah. watching. Like, I don't know if Josina's going to listen back to this and listen to get this part or whatever. But we didn't get to talk that much before. We talked a little bit yeah. uh, before we went on air. But I've obviously been following her work for a long time. I didn't know much about the Denver stuff. So that's pretty fascinating uh just about how all that went uh but yeah i've been a fan of hers for a while so that was also pretty cool on some sentimental level if you want to say that yeah
0: nah it's it's, it's dope anytime we can get uh you know friends of the podcast and guests up here, as we will continue to do. Yeah. Um. You know, it's good. We just keep extending and making our guest list even doper than it was before, because our guest list is, is pretty dope. Yeah. I, w- I will say that. Yeah. It's pretty dope. Yeah. And uh, we're about
2: 74 episodes in, so let's get to these numbers. Get to these numbers. <laughs> let's get to these numbers.
0: Let's get to these numbers. Number 74. Uh, Ryan, show me this list. It's not a great one. It's not a good one. <laughs> and it got worse because of something I told him off air. Um, yes. Like somebody automatically got crossed off the list. I was like, nah. I, I don't know about that. So
2: we got Kenley Jansen, who is a setup man. Yep. For the Dodgers. Yep. Still with the Dodgers. Still right? with the Dodgers. Who well, I, I like. I tried to trade for him in the show. Uh like last hey, year. Man, hey,
0: yeah. Ain't nobody care about your GM moves <laughs> and video games, man. I did although, a, I didn't set up. Although one thing, real quick. Yeah. Brian and I maybe had like a hour long conversation, probably like a month and a half ago, hmm. while he was trying to make GM moves oh. in <laughs> NBA 2K, which I actually found fascinating, and I have not done the mode yet. You got to do it. I, I know, I know, I know. But I found it fascinating today. I was like, "How's he going to get this trade executed?" It's a. We'll, we'll get to that another Bro, time. We'll save that for another show because what it re-
2: it really puts you there. And coincidentally, in one of those, I was using Washington because I was like, "Oh, they're probably going to fire Glenn." Uh, um, wait, Ernie, Ernie Grunwald. Er, Ernie, Gr- I was confusing with Glenn Grunwald. Ernie Grunfeld yes. probably going to fire him at some point, and well, recently well, that just happened. You
0: also realized you had a tough job to do after that, which I, which is what I found fascinating.
2: I mean, yo, that contractor John Wall's not, no
0: joke. Which, 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 to the point, we'll get to this at some point in our, in our next episode, but which or further episodes, but um, taking over tough finance situations in the NBA rebuilding is not easy.
2: Any sport, really, yeah, really, but, but especially ones with salary salary caps. caps yes, um, uh, so we have Kenley Jansen who. We both like. We have Antonio Brown because he has 74 career touchdowns, which okay. I just actually found out not uh, that long ago. Okay. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, Bruce Matthews. Okay. We have Merlin Olsen.
0: Who did?
2: Joe Staley <laughs> And Nick Mangold. Now, you would probably think we would go with Nick Mangold here yes. because he is a Jet fan. I'm a former Jet fan. We like Nick Mangold. However...
0: uh. Found out some things about who Nick Mangold, somebody yeah. who supports, who we don't support. And <laughs> I can't really support you if you support that this person. That particular, particular person. person. And right. I would like to say Nick uh, Mangold, in my time covering the Jets in the locker room, I think other people who have covered the Jets, um, fantastic uh, guy, great with the media, was fun to talk to, very insightful and funny. So I'm a little bit surprised. And, and really, su- really supports that other guy. Yeah, which I'm a little surprised. At a rally. I'm kind of. I guess I'm surprised about. But then the guy also said, "You don't know people sometimes. So why am I really surprised? Because I don't know the person like that. But that's a whole other thing." Um, yeah. So, do you do sorry. you
2: do you know off the top of your head where Mr. Mangold is from?
0: I don't. It's somewhere probably in the Midwest.
2: Centerville, Ohio.
0: Yeah, that sounded about right. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm gonna go. My vote's for Kenley Jansen. It's baseball season. Uh, baseball started back. It is baseball uh, season. We haven't really Mets look all right. I'm not gonna. Mets I'm, look all right so far. Yeah. I don't know. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I know. Last year this time, they won 12 out of 14. A lot of people thought they looked all right, and they came crashing down. I think they look okay. There's still some people freaking out. They've won six out of eight at the point of recording this podcast. I'm just going to let that be.
2: And That's for it. anyone who would say, oh, Kenley Jansen, whatever, whatever, two-time Trevor Hoffman National Reliever of the Year and a three-time Major League All-Star. Yeah. I, we are perfectly fine. He might be the best athlete on this list not named Antonio Brown.
0: Yep. Maybe. I'm re- I'd am i rather save Antonio Brown for his actual number. So, Kelly Jansen has got my vote. 84. So, 10, 10 more to go. Got 10 more to go. 10 more to go yeah sounds good with me kelly jansen is all right kelly jansen episode that's it for episode uh 74 of oh, the a hard to he, tell he podcast
2: actually, he's actually a closer he's not a setup man
0: oh he is i thought he was closer. i thought he, was I a thought setup he got re- he was before for um
2: no he was still with the dodgers his whole dodgers. Oh,
0: yeah okay whatever all right, all right cool okay uh, he's the,
2: su- the successor to eric gagne gagne okay yes
0: remember that guy yes oh, i do yeah. remember
2: Yes. You should kill me in MLB Advance 2002. Go. <laughs> with
0: another video game reference. All right, so that's a wrap for episode 74 of the A Hotel podcast. Thank you again to our guest, Jocena Anderson of ESPN NFL In studio Insider, soon. Uh, on NFL Live. She will be back in studio uh, to come and kick it with us at some point, but we really appreciate the time she gave us today. Uh, really good to hear from her. All right, so thanks to her. Uh, for Brian Fonseca, I'm Dexter Henry. Thank you for uh, listening, supporting, watching. Uh, please subscribe. Please also check us out, support extra content. We have great extra content coming really, really soon Mm -hmm. on Patreon. Uh, Contests that we will be announcing soon. Other stuff coming soon for this podcast. We appreciate your support. Uh, Please continue it for Episode 74. Brian Fonseca, who loves violence, as always, and Dexter Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, y'all. Peace.